Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship this morning. Uh, if you're here in the building or watching the service online, we're delighted you're worshiping with us in Kirkpatrick this morning. Uh, my name's Graham Kennedy. I'm the minister here, and it's good to be able to welcome you to our service of worship today. Just a reminder to those of you who are in the building, uh, if you're comfortable doing so, and I see most of you have already done it, you can remove your mask while you're sitting down. Uh, and put it on again when standing to sing and then when moving uh, around the building. Session are continuing to monitor the whole lifting of restrictions in church and in society, uh, and we will keep you updated of further developments uh, in due course. Uh, But it's lovely to be able to at least uh, uh, see you from more than just from here up uh, this morning, so it's great to be able to do that. Uh, It just get a sense of freedom at least. We come to worship God together, and as we do that, I want to read from the Psalms, from Psalm 118. Uh, This is the the psalmist talking about God's faithful love to him and to his people. I want to read from verses uh, 14 to 19 of Psalm 118. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. We come to bring our praise and our thanksgiving to God this morning. And as we do that, we join together in prayer. Let's all pray. Almighty God, there is nothing in this world of which we can say it lasts forever apart from your love. Your love endures forever. So as we come to you this morning, we do so trusting in your everlasting love. It is your love that speaks to us when we're distressed and in despair, that lifts our eyes to see the one who stands by our side, ready to be our help in times of trouble. It's because of your love that we need have no fear of what anyone else can do to us, because nothing in heaven or on earth can separate us from your everlasting love made known to us in Christ. It is your love that calls us to seek refuge in you and turn to you when we're confused and uncertain which direction to take. Forgive us for not responding more readily to your sure and steadfast love. Forgive us when we put our trust in earthly powers and authorities rather than in you. Forgive us when we seek security in things which cannot last. Forgive us when we expect fulfillment from things which cannot satisfy. Help us today to sing our songs of praise to the God of our salvation. Help us to remember your everlasting covenant love. Whatever we're experiencing right now in life, help us with the psalmist to say, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Help us to see this and every day as a day when we can experience more of your love, as an opportunity for us to share your goodness and greatness with those we know and love. Help us once again to find in Christ our cornerstone, our firm foundation, 
and so to face all of life in his strength instead of our own. As we enter your presence in worship, let us do so with thanksgiving, with joy, with hearts filled by your steadfast love, and acknowledge once again that you are our strength and song, that you are our salvation, that we trust in you you alone. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing two songs as we begin our service. Only by grace can we enter, and then come, now is the time to worship. Last week, I mentioned that uh, Monty had got a a new job, and I've asked him to come and share with us in our connecting uh, church slot just what that uh, role is with an IFES and also how we can uh, pray with and support him in that, Monty. Okay, yes. The IFES vision, I, um, IFES is the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, and its vision is that there be students built into communities of disciples transformed by the gospel and impacting the university, the church, and society for the glory of Christ. That's what we're about. And uh, there is a regional team of people that I have been part of. Some people have said, what's your new job? I thought you were doing that anyway. Well, I was actually part of a wider team, and I was looking after about a dozen countries. Uh, and our team, uh, our aim is to nurture healthy movements who live out that IFES vision. So we want to facilitate everywhere from Iceland to Lithuania, from Norway to Malta, uh, in living out the IFES vision to see students built up into disciples uh, uh, for the transformation of the university. Uh, And my new role will be to lead that team. Unfortunately, after the pandemic, with a lot of transition, with the former director moving on, along with other team members, I am left with a skeleton crew of about three and a half, one of whom is leaving soon. So one of my main roles will be to build uh, a new team. Um, Where do we want to be in a few years' time? Well, we want to emphasize, we want to get back to making the main thing the main thing. Uh, I think before the pandemic, Um, we were sort of facilitating all sorts of ministries. Anybody had a bright idea, you go off and do that. But the pandemic has forced us to really come back and look at our resources and say, what can we uh, do? What are the priorities in the next few years? And that would be evangelism and re-pioneering groups that have closed during the pandemic. Uh, It would be to develop leadership and to help our students be discipled and to build up sustainable groups and movements throughout Europe. Many of them are struggling Uh, largely because of the pandemic and staff moving on and students now at university in some of our countries, um, you know, who who have no idea what a Christian movement in those universities is like. Churches thinking, is there still a Christian movement, Christian union movement in our country? And we want to build those up again. Uh, We want to, uh, so I need to build up my team, but in the next year I'll have to gather people around me to be part of that. Um, And we want to invest in key leaders. Gwen will be traveling with me uh, to see a lot of our national leaders, some of whom are are young women feeling very isolated in parts of Eastern Europe, uh, maybe not with the support structures that folks have around here. And for both of us to go and just to listen and to help them and those maybe um, uh, who find that, that, that no one else really understands their job 
um, because it, is, it can be so nebulous at times. So uh, we want to go and we want to equip, we want to pray with them, we want to train them, we want to pastor them. Uh, I'll also be responsible for overseeing a number of our main ministries, like international students, cross-cultural interns, graduates, academics, postgrads, and four countries have a high school ministry because there wouldn't be an equivalent of Scripture Union in those countries. So uh, those people who head up those ministries, some of them part-time, some of them full-time, I will be supervising them as well. If you look at the map uh, on the next slide, you get a, a picture of my parish. Um, and there's a traffic light system there, uh, red, uh, amber, and green. There's four yellow ones, uh, or five, five yellow ones, from Greenland in the top corner down to Cyprus, where I'll be at the end of next week. Um, and there are pioneering countries, so they're, if you like, a little section unto themselves. Uh, but the red, amber, and green, uh, green is where I think we have good, sustainable, well-organized uh, groups that won't need a lot of attention. Amber is where there's a group and it's well-established, but there's some sort of challenge at the moment. And then red are the ones, there's about seven of them, where we really are in a bit of crisis at the moment. And we need to go and really start up again and, and help them through that rebuilding process. So how can you pray for us? Uh, well, first of all, health and energy and traveling. Um, uh, Gwen and I have had both had a couple of health issues this year with my, my back and her foot. Uh, and having trouble when you're back and foot isn't brilliant when you're doing a lot of traveling. So just pray for uh, healing. Gwen's getting some treatment uh, this week on that. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm hopefully getting some treatment as well. So just pray for our health and all of that. Wisdom and dealing with sensitive issues. Um, working for a Christian organization is not all sweetness and light. And um, they have the same problems and dysfunctions as any other workplace. Sorry if I disillusion you with that. But uh, there are some sensitive issues. As, you know, we haven't met as a team. We haven't met as a region for over two years. So how do we rebuild those relationships? Uh, pray that I will get a team around me in the next year that I can work with and who can work with me and w where we can get back to where we were. And for those struggling national movements... Um, I will finish with one story. Uh, one of our sort of crisis uh, countries was in Estonia, where the movement had almost closed. And it was the first place Gwen and I visited after the pandemic. Uh, and it was really a case of traveling through the country, seeing the, the woman who was, who was part-time and wanting to start it up again, um, who had got another woman alongside her. Uh, but there was nothing in Tallinn, the capital. And as a result of our visit and encouraging them and introducing them to church leaders and meeting somebody from a board and getting them to, to, to re-establish that board, uh, that place, Estonia, is a much healthier, still very small, but in a much healthier position now with a plan for future and someone now working in Tallinn, the capital, to work with the students there. So we can give thanks to God for that. So that's, that's where we'll be, God willing, over the next year. Uh, and we would value your prayers and thank you again for your support. It means an awful lot to us. Come on, can I pray for you and Gwen just now? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the calling that you've placed on Monty's life and on Gwen's life to serve you through IFES and throughout Europe. We pray your continued strength and help for them. We pray for good health 
and energy in the, the days and months to come as they travel uh, even more, as they visit more places. We pray for those areas where there is struggle or crisis or difficulty, and we pray for those student leaders who are trying to work out what to do next, where to go next, how to serve, uh, how to build a student movement within their own country. Lord, we pray that you will uh, bless Gwen and Monty as they come alongside them and care for them and pray with them and guide them uh, and build them up. We pray for those leaders <clears throat> that you will give them real strength, real energy, and real passion as they serve you. We pray for the team itself within IFES Europe that there will be a building of membership there uh, and a fresh vision to see what you want to do throughout Europe and throughout the IFES team. We ask that you will lead them in that, and we thank you once again for the work of IFES throughout Europe. Pray your blessing upon them, uh, and may we see your name exalted and lifted up throughout the universities, uh, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together a song of commitment and devotion. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and ever hope to be, am and have and ever hope to be. Continuing our series in John's Gospel, uh, as we read from John chapter 4, the the next incident in John's Gospel after his meeting with, after Jesus' meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, now he encounters another uh, person in in crisis. Now we're going to read from John chapter 4 and beginning at verse 43. After the two days, the two days in Samaria, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem and at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son because he was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Amen. Those of you who are uh, golf fans uh, in the congregation uh, can perhaps, and well, I'm, I like watching, I don't like playing, but um, those of you who are golf fans can perhaps remember a time when Northern Ireland golfers stood at the very pinnacle of the professional game. It wasn't that long ago, uh, you may remember, that Northern Ireland could boast not one, not two, 
but three major golf champions. You will remember uh, Rory McIlroy's triumphant return to Hollywood Golf Club, clasping the U.S. Open trophy. The pictures of Rory, Darren Clark, and Graham McDowell, not McDowell, McDowell, uh, standing at Royal Port Rush, congratulating one another and being congratulated. We all like a local hero, don't we? We all admire someone from our neck of the woods or our neighborhood who goes on to make something of themselves. We are pleased for their success. We give them a welcome on their return. Of course, there are plenty of local heroes from this part of the world. George Best, Van Morrison, C.S. Lewis, all hailing from East Belfast and internationally renowned for their contributions to sport, music, and theology. We have an airport named after George Best. We have a city square named after C.S. Lewis. Maybe someday Van Morrison will get something named after him, although I'm going to suggest it probably won't be a wing at the Ulster Hospital. Here in, in this passage, we see a, a local hero receiving a welcome home. He's come back north to Galilee from Jerusalem, having made a big splash down south in the city. And the Galileans, John tells us, welcomed him. But who exactly are they welcoming? It seems as though they are welcoming the miracle worker, possibly welcoming the radical revolutionary who turned over the tables in the temple. But the person they are not welcoming is they are not welcoming Jesus as the Christ. Crucially, they are not welcoming him the way those hated Samaritans did just a couple of days before, as the Savior of the world. Jesus' own people, the Galileans, are less interested in him and who he is than in what he can do for them. They're more interested in the signs than in the one the signs are pointing to. Imagine a friend from across the water or overseas comes to visit Northern Ireland, and you make plans to take them around, show them the, the place, show them the sights. You've got day trips planned out to the Mourns, to the Giant's Causeway. You've got tickets for the Titanic Museum. You've got a meal booked in one of Ballyhackamore's fine eating establishments. But all your friend wants to do is sit in your house and read his rough guide to Ireland. It's not the same. Studying the guidebook is not the same as seeing the reality. Obsessing over the signs is not the same as seeing what the signs are pointing you to. But these people, these Galileans, are totally fixated on the signs, not on the one they're pointing to. So imagine then how things ramp up when Jesus returns to Cana of Galilee, the site of the first sign, the place where he turned the water into wine. The expectation is at fever pitch. Is he going to do it again? Is he going to do something more spectacular? What's he going to do next? Well, what he will do is give them a lesson in what genuine faith looks like. 
and it's not based on public miraculous spectacles. Genuine faith is not seen in the outrageous, the powerful, or the mind-blowing. It's seen, in fact, in powerlessness, in prayerfulness, and in obedience. This unnamed royal official who makes the two-day journey from Capernaum to visit Jesus in Cana is a man of considerable privilege, power, and wealth. We presume that he is somewhere high up in Herod Antipas's court. He probably only ever answers to Herod himself. And so this is a man who's not used to having to depend on anyone else for anything else. But now he's in a position where all of his power, all of his wealth, all of his privilege count for nothing. His son is sick. He is on the point of death. Presumably, this man has spent money on the best doctors in the area, but nothing has helped. Jesus, the miracle worker, is his last chance. He has nowhere else to go. He is, for the first time in his life possibly, powerless. The last two years have taught us, haven't they all? Haven't they, they've taught us all just how powerless we can be. We may live in a comfortable home with a decent job and a reasonable and reliable income, but we have been found to be in many ways powerless. Powerless in the face of a microscopic single-celled organism that has swept through our society. The virus has kept us in our homes, kept us away from our loved ones, kept us away from church. It's made us feel vulnerable and anxious in a way most of us have never possibly felt before. We've had our freedoms curtailed in ways that could never have been imagined before. And we've been made to feel powerless. J.C. Ryle says, gold and silver can lift no man beyond the reach of trouble. They may shut out debt and rags, but they cannot shut out care, disease, and death. However wealthy or powerful we may be, there are some things before which you and I are simply powerless. But actually, it's the recognition of our own powerlessness that is where true faith begins. It's only when we see how lacking in ability or resources we are that we start to lean on someone or something outside ourselves. Here is a man in this passage who is at the end of his tether. Nothing in life has prepared him for this moment when he is so utterly unable to do anything. This is a man who's used to solving problems. He's used to getting things done. He's used to being in charge, in control, and now none of those things is true. And all he can do is rely on this man who he has heard can do miracles. I imagine the Apostle Paul was a similar character to this royal official. The picture 
we get of Paul in Acts, certainly the picture I get of Paul is of a man who takes charge of situations. In the middle of an earthquake in Philippi, he takes charge and prevents the jailer from taking his own life. In the middle of a storm at sea, Paul takes charge and helps them to get safely to shore and not lose any lives on the way. But in 2 Corinthians 12, we get a very different picture of the Apostle Paul. There we see a man who is powerless, who is not in charge. Paul in that chapter, you might remember, has a thorn in the flesh that is tormenting him day and night. Don't know what it was, but we know it was causing Paul anguish. And all he can do in the situation is cry out to God to take it away. Even the Apostle Paul has to be brought to the end of his own resources before he will cry out in complete powerlessness to God. The gospel tells you and I that we are powerless. We're powerless to deal with our own sin and its consequences. We are powerless in the face of death. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are utterly dependent on God. And that's not just the case for our initial salvation. It's, the, it's true for all of our Christian discipleship. We need to learn, perhaps we need to learn afresh, how weak and powerless we are to follow after Christ. Sometimes we need to be brought to the end of our rope and left with nothing else before we will confess our need and cry out in faith. And it's in those moments of genuine powerlessness that genuine prayerfulness comes through. Jesus' comment about people only being interested in miraculous signs is almost certainly directed at the crowd rather than at this man. You remember he says, you, you'll only believe if you see miracles. And he's almost certainly directing that at the whole crowd. But the man himself is not at all concerned about the shallow faith of the crowd. He has only one thing on his mind. And it leads to a desperate prayer. Come before my child dies. This, I'm going to suggest, is real prayer. Real prayer is not the piling up of eloquent phrases. Real prayer is a cry from our hearts. One commentator describes this man's prayer as the passionate, intemperate, insistent prayer of a desperate man. And then he goes on to ask, are our prayers too polite? Are our prayers too polite? In Jesus' parable in Luke 18 of the Pharisee and the tax collector, only one of the characters is engaged in real prayer. The Pharisee is piling up righteous-sounding phrases, mostly about himself. The tax collector is crying out in desperation, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Paul's prayer when he was dealing with his thorn in the flesh could be summed up in three words. Take it away. That's real prayer. 
the honest cry of our hearts to God, the shouts of desperation that come in the knowledge that we've nowhere else to go and no one else to turn to. There's at least as much genuine prayer taking place in hospital wards, battlefields, and prison cells as there is in cathedrals and church buildings. Maybe more, in fact. Real prayer is passionate, persistent, and practical. No one who is truly desperate cares about formalities or the right words. Their prayer comes from deep within. And no one who's truly desperate simply gives up. They keep pushing and pushing and pushing until they get an answer. No one who's truly desperate cares about abstract concepts or vague platitudes. They want real, down-to-earth, practical answers. This official just wanted his child to live. And in faith, he prayed to the only one who could help. Real faith comes from a place of genuine powerlessness. It's expressed in genuine prayerfulness, and it results in genuine obedience. Jesus chooses not to go with this man back to Capernaum. He utters no magic words. He performs no spectacular stunt. He gives him no special medicine. Instead, he simply tells him that his child will live and then sends him home. Go, your son will live. And the man, we're told, this is a wonderful phrase, he took Jesus at his word and he went home. Doesn't see a miraculous sign. He's not there when the healing takes place. He just believes what Jesus tells him, believes that it's true, and acts accordingly. This is the heart of faith. This is the heart of faith. Taking Jesus at his word and then behaving accordingly. And Paul prays for that thorn in the flesh to be taken away. He doesn't get the answer that he's initially looking for. The condition, whatever it was, was not taken away. But instead, he hears the words of Jesus, who says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul takes Jesus at his word and chooses to boast not in his strengths or abilities or intellect, but in his weakness that demonstrates more and more of the grace of Jesus in his life. When you genuinely believe that the grace of Jesus is made more evident in your weakness than in your strength, you will praise God for your weaknesses because through them you display more and more of the grace of the Lord Jesus. We can take Jesus at his word as we go through seemingly unending times of trial or pain or sorrow. We can take Jesus at his word when he says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. We can boast about our weaknesses because when we do, we know his strength will be seen in our lives. You can take Jesus at his word when you face either your own mortality or the loss of a loved one. 
You can take Jesus at his word when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You can face death unafraid because you take Jesus at his word. You can grieve in hope when you take Jesus at his word. Are you taking Jesus at his word when he offers you life in all its fullness? Are you turning away from all the things that promise so much and deliver so little? And are you turning to the one who alone can give abundant life now and forever? Are you taking Jesus at his word when he says on the cross, it's finished? When as he dies there, alone, He declares your sin to be forgiven, your debt to be erased, your guilt to be removed. Do you take him at his word? This is genuine faith. And when we see genuine faith in action, it goes far beyond the immediate presenting need. Look at what happens as a result of this man's faith. Not only is his son healed and his own trust in Jesus confirmed, but we are told his whole household come to faith in Jesus. This man's faith progresses beyond seeing Jesus as the local hero, as the miracle worker. It moves beyond the signs to see the one the signs are pointing to. He comes to recognize Jesus' authority as Lord. And so do all of his household, from his son who lives to his servants who come to tell him the good news. Just imagine the impact that you could have in work, at home, among friends, as someone who is known to take Jesus at his word. Just imagine the impact this church family could have on the community of Ballyhackamore if our neighbors were able to look at us and say of us, there are a group of people who really take Jesus at his word. Genuine faith has an impact. Has an impact on an individual, on a household, and on a whole community. Genuine faith in Christ comes from powerlessness, expresses itself in prayerfulness, results in obedience. It is not dependent on circumstances or experiences or miracles. Rather, it's dependent on the facts of the gospel. The incarnation, the death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus Christ. It's dependent on the character of Jesus Christ. And we see that character revealed here. Christ as the one who is full of compassion towards this man. Christ as the one who is merciful to a man whose desperation far exceeds his understanding. As we so often are in exactly that position. When we don't understand our situation or why things are happening to us, and we simply cry out for help, we can be sure that in Christ we have a thoroughly compassionate Lord, one who is gentle and lowly in heart, and who offers us rest. But He's not just compassionate. He's also authoritative. When we pray, He does more than just put an arm around us and say, they're there. He speaks words of real comfort to us. And because they come from him, they are authoritative words. 
He understands our situation and our feelings better than we do ourselves. He really does know what we're going through when no one else does. When he speaks, it's not in platitudes, it's not in cliches. It's with the authority of the one who was tempted and tested in every way as we are and who saw it through to the end. And because he saw it through, we know that he has the strength we lack. When he told the man that his son would live, that man could trust that word. When he says that his grace is sufficient for us, we can take him at his word. His power is made perfect as we acknowledge our powerlessness, cry to him in our weakness, and then obediently take him at his word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Show us more of your compassion, more of your grace, more of your love. Be our strength in times of weakness and powerlessness. Help us to take you at your word. And in doing so, to follow after you in obedience and love. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together a song which reminds us that he walks with us in every circumstance and in every scenario of life. That he is the one we bless. He is the one we trust through it all. Blessed be your name. Before we turn to our prayers for others, just a few announcements uh, to uh, remind folks of, first of all, our Faith Academy starting again this evening uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, with a focus on the Passion for Life uh, events that are happening coming up to Easter for Sunday evening starting tonight uh, at 8 o'clock where we'll start to think about what it means to share the good news with our friends and neighbors. So I encourage you to, to come along tonight. Uh, I think you can still come along this evening. Certainly you can book in for later uh, evenings as well during these next four weeks. And if you miss one, don't worry. Uh, please do still come along uh, and encourage one another and share with one another. It's open to everyone. And we hope that you can come along and be part of that. Uh, then uh, over at Advent, back in Advent, um, there was a real encouragement from the positive response to a series of lunchtime liturgies. Uh, we saw a good number of people coming from outside Kirkpatrick Memorial to join in, in reflection, music, and prayer for 20 minutes on a Wednesday lunchtime. We're hoping to build on that success as we plan to host some lunchtime liturgies for Lent. So we're looking for singers and or musicians to give solo performances at each service. It'd be great to see some uh, of our young people taking part in that as well. So if you're interested in taking part, please speak to Paul about that. Uh, The services will be from 1.30 to 1.50, beginning on Wednesday, the 2nd of March, that's Ash Wednesday, and running through until Wednesday, the 13th of April in Holy Week. Lastly, it's a sad duty of mine to share with the church family the death of two older ladies. Uh, Mrs. Violet Trainer of Clarawood Crescent died yesterday morning uh, after a long illness, and the funeral service will take place later this week. Violet had been a long-term member of Kirkpatrick, I'm told, loved this church, but was unable to be here for a number of years, partly because of her own illness and then 
before that looking after her husband. I encourage you to remember her son uh, and three daughters and wider family in your prayers. And then one of our former members, uh, Mrs. Phyllis Duffield, also passed away earlier this week. Phyllis moved to England a few years ago to be closer to her family. She was a member of Kirkpatrick uh, since moving down to Belfast from Oma to nurse in the Royal Victoria Hospital. She was involved in committee, PW, Friendship Club, helped to design and make the wall hangings that decorate the church at Christmas, Easter, and Harvest. So please continue to pray for her, also with a son and three daughters, and for the whole family circle. Let's join together in prayer just now. Lord our God, in reflective silence, we bring before you those known to us who particularly need your help today. We bring before you those known to us who are ill at this time, those who are caring for them. Lord, hear our prayers. We bring before you those who grieve, in particular the families of Phyllis Duffield and Violet Trainer. And we pray for those who walk with them through these times of grief. pray for those who are confused in hospital or at home or in care, and for those who sit with them day by day. Pray for those who are anxious and those who seek to bring peace into their lives. Pray for those in our world at this time, particularly those on the other side of Europe and Ukraine concerned about war. And we pray for those who are working, even in these days, for peace. Pray for those who feel that life is just overwhelming and for those who come alongside to share their burdens with them.
pray for those who feel weak and those who are a strength alongside them. And we pray for those who are tired and those who encourage them to rest or who give rest to them. May all these, Lord God, know your grace, which is sufficient, your mercy, which is everlasting, and your peace, which passes all human understanding. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to close our service with a song, a hymn which uh, is so full of, of uh, hope and trust and dependence on God. And it has that wonderful refrain, the reminder that in all that we go through in life and everything that we experience, nothing can separate us from Christ's love, and it is well with our souls when peace like a river attendeth my way. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.